week. Happy Friday. How was your week? Good, good, good. Short week, but pretty fun. Pretty fun because, you know, we had a holiday on Monday here in the U.S. Yeah. 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 It was nice. Short, but good. I mean, uh, it still seemed like almost like a long week to me. I don't know. <laughs> For sure. For a short week, a lot of stuff happened. Like yesterday was my favorite day of the month. Every Thursday, first Thursday of every month, we have the Xamarin community stand up. Yeah, and, you know, we 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 have we share, our, you know, timeline about the not, .NET 6 Maui, some updates on Xamarin. And yesterday we had Dan Roth come in. And he talked about Blazor and .NET 6 and, you know, showed off some cool demos. So that was pretty exciting. Awesome. Yeah. There's like some, it seems like there's been so much talk about Maui lately. Like it's, it's pretty cool. So I'll have to check that out. Um, you know, other things though, that are, that are coming up next week. So I'm pretty excited because we're kind of starting to go back to in-person conferences, which is pretty awesome. Um, so there's the Microsoft 365 conference next week on June 8th through the 10th, I believe. Uh, this was formerly known as the SharePoint conference, one of my favorite conferences and first ones I went to back in the day. So it's all Teams, SharePoint and Power Platform related stuff. Lots of cool Microsoft speakers like Jeff Teeper, Caruana Gatimo, and Charles Lamana, and of course, all of our wonderful MVPs and community speakers as well. So uh, that'll be a hybrid event, both in person and online. So definitely check that out. That's pretty, pretty great. In, you know, in that same line of conferences and happening next week, uh, there's also Dev Intersection happening next week, which is going to be pretty amazing because we have Scott Hunter. He's going to be presenting this keynote, the keynote. And a good friend of the Hello World show, Jeff Fritz, is going to be presenting a bunch of sessions on different contents. And I think it might be about Blazor and .NET Maui. Who knows? Maybe not. Go check that out. So in lieu of that, we won't be having Hello World on uh, next Tuesday and Wednesday. And instead, you can catch the live stream from Dev Intersection. That should be pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So two great opportunities to, to catch some content from Dev stuff, oh, yeah. platform and SharePoint and everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know what? Before before we like you know switch gears, I want to I want to throw a random factoid at you, which I have just thought of. Maybe not, but also a little you know quiz for whoever's watching. So something really interesting happened today in tech history. So June 4th, okay, so today's June 4th. So June 4th in tech history in the Chicago Electronics, um, no, the Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago, June 4th, 1977. Something very interesting was announced. Something very interesting was shared. Do you want to take a guess? 77. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you the technology area. It was to do with CDs and video watching and uh, TiVo. Oh, DVR. Like Ooh, close. No. Very close guess. Very close guess. Hmm. Okay. So actually, I'll, I'll give it to you. So it's actually the VHS tape was first oh, announced. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So yeah, that was way. Yeah. DVR came way later than that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a VHS pretty exciting. So, you know, if anyone can find, there's a cool little article on this somewhere, please share it to us in the chat. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, okay. So I'm excited about today's show because we have an amazing agenda and two new guests. So one of the first new guests that we have is Maxime. Uh, Max, why don't you tell me what we're going to be talking about today? Uh, what about some ecological sustainability with Project 15? Awesome. That sounds amazing. Can't wait to dive into that. And then we have one of our regulars, Scott. Uh, what's up for 24 Hertz today? Hey, I'm going to continue the default shell setup that we started last week. So changing from Bash to ZSH. Sweet. And then uh, another one of our regular segments, the MVP Spotlight. Uh, Christian, what MVP do you have with us today? Hey, April. We're going to be talking with Bruno about how to add some lemon spice to your tech. 
Awesome. Can't wait for that as well. And then finally, another new guest here, uh, Jade Gordon. Uh, Jade, what are you going to be talking about? Hey, throwing you a curveball from my normal Wednesday segment. And today we're going to be talking about the top stories from the Microsoft DevOps community, all sourced by you. Awesome. So much great stuff. Like super excited about this. So, well, I guess with that, why don't we dive right into our first brand new guest, which is Maxime. And he's going to tell us a little bit more here about Project 15. Uh, Max, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good in you, April. Pretty good. I'm excited to hear more about this Project 15. I know we talked a little bit about it, but I can't wait to hear more. So why don't you tell everyone that's watching uh, exactly what it is? All right. So Project 15 is the open platform for conservation and ecological sustainability that was started a while back by Sarah Mason and Daisuke uh, Nakahara. Uh, it's well in line with Microsoft's own goal of helping everyone everywhere build a more sustainable future. Uh, so think about the problem we're trying to solve here is that we have researchers that are working with old tools that can't really keep up with the modern world. Uh, so we're bringing the power of the cloud for everyone. And the goal is to bring them to 80% of the way with our, uh, with our platform. And then they just need to provide the last 20% of efforts to get there. So that's how we're trying to met. We're trying to make things better, right? Yeah. So how is Microsoft making a difference here? Like, I understand, like, from what I like read up about it, this is like very, you know, like IoT focused and stuff yep. as well as ways we can the difference there. But like, how else is Microsoft kind of making a difference with this? Well, Project 15 is more than just right, just an idea, right? It's, it's an entire car architecture that's been pre-built by us that just require people to provide the last mile of code, uh, adapted to their project, adapted to their need. And that last mile is done through capstone projects that are uh, collaboration with universities and upcoming graduates. Uh, we're providing mentorship, technical training, coaching, as well as access to experts for them to grow as a developer, as well as help those non-governmental uh, organizations, also called NGOs, uh, reach out those sustainability goals. So whether it's through our Microsoft Learn platform or through one-on-ones, uh, we're really determined to make a difference by leaving the world a better place. And that means collaborating between the collaboration between Microsoft, the students, and the NGOs. Very cool. So you mentioned capstone project. Now I'm kind of familiar with that from like college and doing a capstone mm. project myself, but why don't you explain a little bit to more people watching that might not be familiar. What is a capstone project exactly? All right. So a capstone project is a real life project that helps developer, uh, helps students develop a skill set, right? So it's not about a fake project, it's something that's actually going to be used. We're just taking this to the next level by not just making a business impact, but a global impact. Uh, for example, we had uh, one of our, of our mentee was Chuck Kapula, and he helped some busy partners develop an image recognition model to identify and track elephants in Africa uh, to prevent poaching, and Zambezi recently released Project Zero with our help. Uh, then there's Farid Halawadi, who helped create an image classifier to uh, empower Red Panda Network, classify thousands of historical pictures they had of Red Pandas uh, that are taking them um, to better understand the behaviors of the Red Pandas. And finally, my latest mentees as of uh, recently are a team out of Cornell University, uh, a capstone project out of there uh, that are helping out on the elephant listening project. And they're developing an audio machine learning model to prevent poaching on elephants from continuing. All of those projects are so inspiring and I can't believe how passionate they are. I, I mean, seriously, if our future is in their hands, I can say confidently that we're in good hands. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know that's, you know, we're facing lots of trouble, you know, with the extinction and there's things like that and poaching. So just the mm -hmm. 
the how we can use technology to help with that is really amazing. And those are some great examples. So tell me a little bit more. Like I assume, like you know, you said this will get you eighty percent of the way there. Is that yeah. so? This code is available um, for people to use. Yeah. Well, most projects are partially open source. So if you uh, go to our educator blogs, we, you will probably see a few of those uh, open source projects. But the real uh, core of the project is Project 15 itself. And this one, you can go and get the code directly from aka.ms slash Project 15 code. Awesome. So I assume that's the best way. So how? what's the best way people can get involved um, in this? Well, OK, so if somebody want to get involved, uh, I would love for everyone to use a Project 15 as a platform for a conservation project. Anything that comes to mind or you're, you want to help a researcher, uh, you can, so you can just go to the GitHub repository, you can contribute code, submit PR, et cetera. Uh, but if you want to help as a research project to get onboarded with us, you can join us at project15 at microsoft.com. Awesome. I, I, that's so cool. So many cool examples there of, of ways that we can make an impact. I think I remember hearing something early on too about like cows, like projects there and tracking cows as well. It's one of the first ones oh, yeah. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a project out of Imagine Cup and yeah. the team was ProTag out of New Zealand and they've been doing uh, an amazing, an amazing thing. And it's also part of, um, of our involvement on in trying to uh, make the world a better place. Right. So those are also uh, a project that is not part of project 15 per se, that was just more, uh, of the Imagine Cups, so that was an idea all on their own. Yeah, and it's amazing to see those students uh, do amazing things. Definitely. Well, Sweetie, let's bring my Sweetie. What do you think about about all this? I mean, it's uh, I don't know if you're blown away as me, but all the impact that we can make here with with some technology and uh, and sustainability. Yeah, hundred percent. I love I love me some animals and love me some technology. So I'm all all pro this you know, concept and this idea. It's amazing. Um, moving on. To our next segment, we have Scott. He's hey. back with for Hertz. And so you said we're going to be continuing our terminal exciting journey? Yeah, but I had no idea about the VHS from 1977. Uh, in between the segment, I ran down and got um, <laughs> some, old, some old videos. And um, it still works. Uh, I have a VHS machine that I can archive. And wow, these things were big. I mean, that's what I'm here for, Scott. I come with um, factoids and I come with fun information. That's great. It was one of my first jobs in high school was doing uh, working in a video store. But speaking of old, let's go to the terminal and the command line. Um, I want to show you guys yeah. something. This is a continuation of what we are talking about last week. So uh, last week I was on my Windows machine. Today I'm on my Mac, but I'm really on an Ubuntu box, which is in my basement. So there's all this levels of inception. It doesn't really matter. In fact, mm -hmm. what, what's, what I'm trying to get to is how to have a better experience when you are in the terminal. If you drop down, uh, if you're forced to run the terminal, normally you're running a shell called bash. And so nice. let me show you what that looks like. So on this machine, I'm going to run a Docker container called, um, well, it's just, uh, well, let me, let me cap this. So we're going to be getting to this file in just a moment, but I'm going to show you what it might be like to run this, um, to see what the default experience is for Debian. Right. I mean, I definitely am not a fan of the default shell. I'm the one who spends a whole day customizing my shells. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so the default shell is bash and there's the bash. There's a way to think about bash. It's, um, it's a great, well, it's actually one of my favorite programming languages, which is really weird. I and mean, bash is unusual. It's a way to script everything in Linux, but bash as an interactive shell, which is what I'm typing in right now, not a great experience. In fact, there's one anti-pattern with bash, which I think makes it almost bad to use. And that's the tab expansion. So if you're typing something, you want to see right. and 
and I have a file called foo and a file called foobar and I type lsf tab, it just does it for me, which might not be what I want. I've removed files accidentally uh, because <laughs> of that tab expansion. So forget this for a second because the default is bash. It's no longer the default on Mac OS. Um, Apple changed to Z shell recently, I think largely for licensing reasons, but I'm gonna show you what the Z shell experience is like. Um, and I am doing it through this GitHub repo. So it's, uh -huh. I made this repo literally this morning. Let me show you what's in it. I'm gonna um, clone it. And plus I have to type a little bit. I just don't feel like I'm really doing something live unless I'm type, typing. So it's called minimum for like a minimum Z shell experience. And if you go into uh -huh. it and simply type make, it's gonna do two things. It's going to build, wow, that was fast. A lot faster. Oh, because I just tested it. Oh, that's actually really good. Um, hey, that's cool. Yeah. It is about that good. fast. <laughs> so, so now on the command line, I'm inside this Debian shell, and uh, the glyphs has changed. Scott, your 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 little prompt yeah. is all fancy now. Yeah. Let me let me zoom in. I mean, there's some gratuitous things like, okay, I told it to use the icon. This is I'm in my home folder. Um, if I go into another folder, now this icon changes from home to a folder, and now you have a prompt. Um, what I really like here, though, is if I'm in a repo like Power Level 10K repo, which is the prompt that's powering all this, um, you get the typical, you know, look, it's a GitHub repo. This is the default branch for this repo. Yep, and if yep. I say check out a new branch called, you know, changes, you can tell now it says changes. And if I touch a file called foo, you know, so you get this kind of nice prompt stuff right off the bat. Um, this isn't the prompt that I use for Z Shell. I use... Um, you can configure different prompts and it saves it all in a file that you can save in a repo. What I like about this though, is that it will walk you through to see if you have the proper glyphs installed for the font that you have on your system. So the font that I'm using has all that. Cascadia doesn't have the fonts, all the fonts that I want yet. And I think they're getting a few more icons in here, but you can see we've got, you know, all you, there's so many things. Like if I want to go through here and make the craziest prompt possible, um, I'm just randomly selecting things here. So I'm going to restart. <laughs> yes, yes, sure, yes, quit. And well, it didn't change it at all. <laughs> I, I think I quit before I was supposed to. But you can look at this repo and see there's very few things. All I'm doing is cloning this one repo and, and adding a few lines to this Z shell configuration to mm -hmm. load that load that prompt. And then you're you're already at a much better experience than Bash. So we'll continue later. There's so much more fun stuff to do here. Fun, fun for me. For sure, for sure. Fun for me as well. Um, let's bring back April because April, are you also a terminal, uh, fangirl or are you more of a? Mm, I just like my default shells and I'm good with it. Well, you know, I traditionally just use the default stuff. But watching you and Scott there, like you geek out over the terminal stuff. I mean, I think I I want to look into that more. <laughs> Like I have a ways to go there. For sure, and we are here to support you. Yeah, in I know. Customization to, journey. I know who to call for sure. All right, well, so excited for the next segment. I always love our MVP spotlight. Uh, Christian, why don't you tell us who you have with you today? I'm excited to hear about this. Absolutely, hola mundo and hello April, thank you so much. I'm here and I'm excited to introduce you to Bruno Capuano. We're here to talk about our experience as a Latin in tech. So Bruno, can you tell us two part question? What has your experience been like as a Latino in tech and how do you stay true to your roots and culture? Yeah, sure. So hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for having me here. And also, I'm happy to talk about my Latin experience. I am in Canada, notice the flag, the other side, sorry. 
But you probably also noticed the accent. I came from, I was born in Argentina. I moved and I lived 11 years in Spain. Five years ago, I moved to Canada. So I have a mix of how I grow and how I become a professional. Like in example, all of my early memories about music, sports, and everything that is deep into you come from Argentina. Big fan of football slash soccer here. When I moved to Europe, I worked there a long time. So I have my work mindset as an European. I live in Spain, but I travel a lot. I was, I am happy to have a lot of friends in UK, Germany, Italy, uh, a lot of places. And I really, really move around my Latin way of life, my Latin feelings uh, working here. And there are a couple of things that I learned there. Like an example, you need to live with an accent. You need to bring who you are here and hey, I will be happy to share more details with you about this. Absolutely. One of the interesting things that you shared earlier today was about adding some Latin flavor to conferences. Can you tell us what does that mean? Oh, yes, that's for sure. So in example, I always like to talk about this conference. A couple of years ago, uh, we were invited to the Caribbean Developer Conference, because if you're going to have a developer conference, hey, maybe you can also do it in the Caribbean, in Punta Cana, in the Dominican Republic, and you will have a lot of plus there. And it was a huge conference. We have a lot of amazing speakers. Jessica Dean was there, Scott Hanselman, Cecil Glauca from Brazil. So it was a kind of a standard and as usual technology conference where you have big rooms, speakers going there and learn your stuff. But at the end of the day, the three days of the conference, we're all being invited. Let's go to the beach. Let's hang out in the beach. Let's go to the tiki bar and have a drink. And you have the chance to have this one-to-one -one conversation with your Idols, for me, a lot of them were my idols. And we were talking not even about technology, we were talking about human stuff. And I really think that this is something that the Latin people like myself, we are really used to do. We love this connection. We love to hug people. We love to say hello and close to talk too close to each other. And hey, the Caribbean Dollar Conference was great. And talking with other attendees, they also love this extra flavor, which I think is something very, very Latin, something that we use and we like to do. Absolutely, man. I'm sorry I missed out on that conference. It sounds like a great group of friends. Talking about talking with folks, earlier you mentioned your wonderful accent. Can you tell me what has that been like in tech? Oh, yes. Uh, sometimes when you have an accent, I have a good accent, and my friends from Asia or, as I mentioned, France, Italy, they also have accents. You need to deal with this. You need to start to feel, uh, find a way. What are you going to do? And I am lucky enough when I talk to you, an example, or other colleagues or friends, you are so kind and you help me when I struggle with words. But because I struggle when I'm talking, I always think twice before I'm talking. I need to have this extra thread in my mind, basically thinking what I'm going to say next, what is the words that I know and I can use that are going to explain my idea. And it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard because you need to spend this extra couple of seconds, finding the words before you are going to talk, but also it's something that helps you to be more prepared. So this is a nice balance between how you're going to deal with this. And I also love to recognize everybody who you are speaking have an accent. They probably know one or two languages, so kudos for them. It's super hard learning your language. Absolutely. And hey, we should probably all think a little bit or a second time before we speak most of the time. So speaking of that, uh, what are some of the things that folks can do around the world to think more globally? So that's, this is an easy one. Just be nice. Just be nice to each other. If you are talking with someone and they are struggling, an example, to find an idea, 
put your best smile, help them, and you're going to for sure have a, an amazing experience. It's easy. It's just be nice. Absolutely. Who would have thought it would have been an easy, as easy as being nice? Well, thank you so much for your time, Bruno. I really appreciate it. Back over to you, uh, April and Swiki. Bruno, that was amazing. Swiki, um, I think that advice, right, can go with anything. I mean, just be nice and that can solve a lot of problems, including helping you think globally. Mm -hmm. 100%. I love it. Absolutely love that advice. Apply it every day, all the time. Superb, superb. Okay. Definitely. Yep. All right. Let's move on. So up next, we have a familiar face from probably the Wednesday Hello World shows. And I see that he's gate crashing a Friday party today. So hello. Hello, Jay. Um, hey, I see you're hey, here. To, yep. I see you're here to talk to us about um, the DevOps on Azure community and some fun stuff that, you know, you've got to share with us. Absolutely. So live here from Brooklyn, home of your Brooklyn Nets, uh, I want to give you some great information about how we can uh, share the top stories from Microsoft's DevOps community. They're all sourced from our community users. Uh, I think you're going to find some really informa uh, great information. But let's start with something that's you know Microsoft specific, and that was Bicep 0.4's release. Bicep is a, another way that you can create ARM templates. So you can see right here, the bicep language, which is its DSL, allows you to create ARM templates, which you can then deploy to Azure Resource Manager. Uh, I love using that AZ deployment create method, makes it really easy. I, I love this language, the team, Alex and all of them, they're doing a great job. And I just wanted to give them a quick shout out. Check out this YouTube video. You can go to aka.ms bicep O4 call and to watch this whole video. Uh, it'll be in the show notes as well. So you, if you miss it here, you can get to it. But let, let's go to the, the this week's articles. What do you say? Let's do it. I'm excited. Awesome. So the first one comes from Chris, and Chris sent us, you know, an introduction to Bicep. Uh, might as well dive right into Bicep if we're going to talk about it. And so the first thing he helps you do is set up your environment. Uh, the environment can be uh, either Azure CLI or Azure PowerShell. You can use the CI/CD environment. Uh, this tutorial, he uses the Azure CLI, um, shows you how to do some basics. Uh, I love the VS Code extension for mm -hmm. Bicep. Uh, it gives you some... Uh, snippets of code to help create different resources. So I could just start typing RES and I get all this list of all these different Azure services. So uh, he'll show you how to verify and deploy this. Um, really, really useful. Uh, recommend checking out this. Thanks, Chris. Uh, next, uh, Antoine wrote us a blog post about using .NET Interactive with Azure DevOps. I know um, we were talking a little bit of CLI, creating things. I am Bash fan number one. I love Bash. But in this uh, particular post, we're talking .NET. Uh, you'll mm -hmm. see how everything is configured for your PAT authentication. Uh, you'll define your work item locally. Uh, then he's giving you a ton of information uh, on how you can connect all this, including some docs. If you see here, it goes to a GitHub repo. Uh, you'll be able to get there and, and find even more information on how to connect these things together. So awesome. next, next, Sweeky, are you backing everything up? That's, I saw that title, I was like, oof, I don't back up my code repos and I didn't know I could do this with automation, what? 
Automate all the things. That's what we say in the DevOps world. And this by Dimitri shows you how to back up Azure DevOps uh, with uh, your, for your code repositories. Uh, he'll give you all the different types of uh, providers and because without our backups, without our backups, we could be dead in the water and we don't want that. We wanna be able to get our applications back up and running. The next thing we'll talk about is Power Apps Portals build tools and Azure DevOps extension to automate portal deployment. Uh, Arpit gave us this one. Uh, one of the things that's great is that Power Apps empowers uh, citizen coders all, all over the world. Uh, and there are extensions within Azure DevOps to be able to enable these Power Apps portals build tools. Uh, we're gonna move along real quick. Uh, we talked a little bit about BICEP and that's infrastructure as code. Terraform, another really super popular way of integrating infrastructure as code to handle your deployments. He's got some Terraform files to help you show uh, how to get everything configured and deployed. And then finally, if you're going to be using Azure DevOps to do your deployments, you may need to have uh, variable groups configured. Yep. And if yep. that's the case, this blog post is gonna give you all that information. So if you would like to have your blog post included, go ahead, hashtag it on Twitter or LinkedIn with hashtag Azure DevOps. And if you want to check out this week's blog post, you can go to DevOps, uh, excuse me, aka.ms slash DevOps 2021-0604. That's today's date. So that's everything I got for you today, sweetie. That's amazing. I love a little awesome roundup post of all the awesome stuff done by our community. Um, I'm going to bring back April because I'm curious. April, did you know about the Azure DevOps extension for Power Tools? Okay, Power I App. did. Yeah. Power Apps. Yeah. My yeah. ears perked up when I heard Power Apps. So yeah, I was ironically just messing with that earlier today. I saw a blog post about it and I was testing out those Power Apps portals build tools. There's so many build tools and integrations um, within, you know, like VS Code extensions as well and DevOps that uh, I've been looking at that are so cool with the Power Platform. That's awesome. Superb. And what a superb line of guests we had today. So I'm going to slowly bring everyone back in. So let's let's see everyone's faces one last time. So hey, Maxime. Hey. Uh, hey, hi. Scott. Hey, Christian. Hey OK, we've got the party back. All right, yeah. let's go. Round table. Everyone's on the spot. Your call to actions as I say your names out. Maxime, you're up. All right, I want everyone to go to aka.ms slash project 15 code and get started today on sustainability projects. Sweet, Scott. Don't be afraid of the command line. Um, it's super intimidating when you drop down. The worst you can do is blow away your system, I guess, but that's why we have backups, right? I was listening. <laughs> good, good connecting of all the segments, awesome. Bruno. Yes, I am an AI person, so I would invite you to go to globalai.community and find the Global AI Virtual Tour. During June, all around the globe, there are a lot of events around AI, and they are amazing. So globalai.community. Awesome. We all love AI on this show. Christian. Absolutely. I would just follow up to the great words of Bruno. Just be nice to each other. We'll see you in person soon, I hope. Excellent. And Jay, what's that hashtag again? That's hashtag Azure DevOps so that you can make sure that all of your posts that you create are included. I'll, I'll throw it a heater right toward you. Make sure that everybody sees your stuff. That's awesome. Um, April, what's your call to action for this week? Well, the Microsoft 365 conference. So go to that link there uh, in the notes there to get signed up, either virtual or in person in Orlando. 
Sweet, sweet. And my call to action is check out Dev Intersection next week. It's going to be super fun. All right. And I just wanted to make a quick note. I don't know if anyone caught on. So we started the show talking about VHS and we had a little blog post with a CD-ROM drive there. So we're just like throwing back all these old school storage <laughs> devices today, which is pretty great. All right. Physical media so, lives. Physical media lives. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So all our friends who are watching us live, please stick around. We've Next on Learn TV, we have Kubernetes monitoring and alerting. And for everyone who tuned in and all of our guests, thank you so much for coming in. And let's do, so today's wave is going to be just, just this. We're going to just say this. All right. So, all right. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. Let's bye. go. Next. <laughs>